On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, it's a conversation with two nano brewery owners about scrapping business plans, relying on local, learning from the pandemic, and more. This is John Hall, and welcome to the BYO Nano Podcast, episode 16, and I miss visiting breweries. Before the pandemic, I was fortunate by nature of my job to visit at least 100 breweries a year, sometimes more. I like walking among the stainless, trying not to trip on hoses, and the conversation that happens with brewers and owners over pints. So this month on the show, COVID is still keeping me at home, but I wanted to check in with two nano brewery owners to find out what's happening inside of their walls, what they're trying to learn, and how they're working to adapt. And I'm really pleased to welcome to the show Brad Lawrence, he's the co-owner of Lost Art Brewhouse in Michigan, and Chris Prost, he's the co-owner of Polyculture Brewing in New Hampshire. I'll talk with them in a moment, but first, however, I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1-10 to barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. And sign up today for the BYO Boot Camps. On May 7th, 2021, join QC expert Amy Todd of Zymology Labs as she walks you through what you should be doing as a small-scale craft brewery to make sure the beer you're selling to customers reflects well on your business. You'll learn about running sensory panels, setting up testing lab areas, running the proper tests, and more. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Ardra Gazanis on startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on these nano boot camps can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. It's been a while since we've had a good discussion among brewers on this show. So when I was starting to think about the show this month, I wanted to get a few different perspectives. And so I called up Chris Prost of Polyculture Brewing in New Hampshire and Brad Lawrence of the Lost Art Brew House in Michigan. Chris started off as a home brewer and later attended the Siebel Institute Concise Course in Brewing Technology. He and his wife, Michelle, decided to start a small brewery in their barn in rural New Hampshire in 2018, and they now co-own Polyculture Brewing, which is focused on sustainable beer that highlights local ingredients. And Brad Lawrence started the Lost Art Brew House in Walker, Michigan, with his lifelong friend, Mike Smith. They opened in the summer of 2020 with the sole mission of handcrafting beers of the highest possible quality and making them available to their community. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with them, and I hope you feel the same way. We're going to talk about beer in a moment, but to kick off, I wanted to start elsewhere and then get to what's pouring in the glass. We recorded over Zoom, and so there's sometimes those technical glitches that happen along the way, and my apologies for that, as well as for my neighbor, who once again, predictably, decided to start up his leaf blower just as we were wrapping up this show. Both of them spoke to me from their respective breweries in their respective states. Let's put the beer aside for just a moment. Where do you find yourself 
putting most of your attention these days when it comes to the brewery, you know, that that's not beer making related. And and Chris, I'll start with you. Um, huh. I think we're kind of in a weird time right now. I think, you know, what we're focused on right now is kind of the transition, I guess, um, back into quote unquote, some sense of normalcy. Um, so like the beer making continues, um, but you know, we're ramping up here for the summer last summer, basically our only onsite, um, pouring was done all outdoors. We have a beer garden here. Um, that's pretty spacious. And so then we've been closed indoors. We have a very tiny indoor tasting room that's been closed since then. Um, and so, you know, I think we've gone through the different phases. Our brewery did a lot, a little of like pretty much everything you could do with the exception of direct shipping to kind of get our beer out to people. Um, and I think it's kind of just ramping up after having so long before you, uh, since you've really like welcomed people here and poured the beer. Um, we're just trying to get ramped back up um, to be ready to do that again. Um, and then have like a really smooth summer season. Hopefully it's going to be really busy and into the fall. Um, that's really what we're focused on right now. Brad, what about you? Uh, well, Russ, you know, we opened last summer in the middle of this, so we didn't really know any different other than the pandemic lifestyle. Yeah. So for a long time, it was really just based on make beer, get it to the people. And now we're kind of transitioning into more of that customer experience and what could we really do to elevate their experience when they're here in the building and not just worrying about, here's a plastic cup, go sit outside in the parking lot and really just trying <laughs> to make people, you know, have, have the best experience they can when they come to visit us. And we, we didn't have any, you know, any experience doing that before the pandemic. So it's, definitely a big transition for us trying to get ready for the summer here and come out of the pandemic and try to try to build that really good uh, experience for people here too. That that's got to be a challenge though, right? Because if people you you never really got to make the first impression that you wanted to. Yeah, so it was really weird because like even at, you know, opening up you have, you work on it for so long as other people know, when you open a brewery, it's not like you have an idea. And then three months later, you're open It's years and years of hard work. And then we were set to open March of last year. And then everything <laughs> went haywire and yeah. it ended up being in July. So, but I always tell people too, that we don't know any better. You know, it wasn't like we were having this amazing business and the world kind of came to a halt and we had to stop everything. Like we didn't know anything different. It's always been a challenge starting any business. So we just kind of viewed it as another challenge that we had to find the answer to and find a workaround. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. I mean, I agree with what you're saying in this shift to like, you know, creating the experience that you want again, because, um, I think the thing that I heard talking to other brewers last year through the last year was basically, you know, it was the year of doing what you can. Um, <laughs> everyone just trying to like do what they can um, and hope, you know, so like, yeah, our experience here was very different. It was people are outside. We're like 
coming into the tasting room to pour the beer and bring it back out and doing whatever gloves, hand sanitizer, you know, not really the perfect experience, but um, doing what we could with what we were given. Um, and so I agree that there's an element of that, like kind of what are you going to do? There's still going to be some restrictions in place, but hopefully not as many. And so how are you going to like tailor the experience a little more? Um, because I think people, the customers also at that point, especially last summer, I think everyone was itching just to like, be able to have some experience, be able to do something. Um, and this year, you know, things are more open. So I think that is something places will have to focus more on and kind of like standing out in that way again, instead of kind of doing just what you have to do to function. Well, because you do have a couple of years experience with this. So you've had robust summers and obviously in, in, in your part of the country, you know, summers are meant to be cherished because your winters are cold and <laughs> hard and long. Um, I mean, same thing in Michigan, but, you know, New Hampshire, I think, tracks a little bit different. Um, having known what good summers can be. Um, knowing what last summer was, it, it, we're, we're starting to feel like we can cross uh, or feel a little bit safer. You know, vaccines are rolling out, um, but the pandemic is still with us and the numbers are still spiking and it's still pretty bad out there. Can you do this for another summer like you did last year? <laughs> well, for us, I mean, yeah, this goes to a bigger point about, um, I guess our operation, cause it is, you know, really just my wife and I, um, and she works full time, um, in her career and I basically do this full time and we also have a toddler. So, um, I think for us, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think with the way things have gone and some vaccinations and certain things being a little more, um, accessible such as daycare, um, and things like that, it's, it's going to be easier for us this summer um, to do, you know, kind of what we did last summer. Last summer, we were really stringing by because we had our um, toddler home. And so I was basically yeah. doing the brewery on like nights, like a lot of people working. I, I know it all too well, man. Yeah. Yeah. Nights and weekends. So in a way, this year is kind of, um, I mean, I think we can do what we did last year, we'll be able to kind of reach out to our community. Um, and also like last, you know, another element was it of it was we have friends and family who've been really helpful and that was kind of shut down as well. So I think that was the biggest thing for us. We were really just stringing along with just us two, us three, I guess you could say. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, our, I mean, our story over the last few years since we opened has been, we've not, I guess we haven't really had a year, so to speak, of like doing um, kind of one plan, um, not in like a jumbled sense, but it's about to be our third anniversary in our first um, year, first summer and into the fall, basically, you know, we had no tasting room. We were only doing farmer's markets and going out and meeting people um, and serving samples and selling the beer that way. And then the second year, it was more the kind of the tasting room model um, with the beer garden in the summer. And then obviously this year was kind of completely different. So um, yeah, I think for us, like we are, we're excited for this summer to kind of, it won't be normal, but for us, it will be uh, a little load off our shoulders to just, you know, maybe have some help um, in other areas of our life that we didn't have last summer. 
Brad, I, I, what Krista said sort of made me think of how do you introduce yourself to people and how do you, how do you get out there? And you all have a pretty good social media presence and it, it, it seems like you're, you know, popping up where, where, where you should. Um, how, how have you found, or what have you found that works when it comes to making a personal connection for a new business in the most impersonal of times? Man, you know, that's something we really struggled with in the beginning because you see a lot of people throw everything at the wall and just see what sticks. And for us, it was really all about just being genuine and letting things kind of happen organically, which I know is probably not the best business practice because you want to get out there and be seen by everybody. But uh, we've had a lot more success really just saying, here's our beer. We're going to let our beer speak for it. And then, you know, if you liked it, you'll talk to people. And it seems to be really snowballing in that sense. I don't think people want to be, you know, they want to have that sense of cool and have that thing where they thought they think that they helped discover you on their own <laughs> as opposed You're the to, band you know, like before the band music. was cool. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's not, it's not like if you pay for a TV commercial, it may not be, you know, maybe you get 10,000 eyes on it, but people that randomly hear about a place from their friend and come check it out, they, they have a, a higher attachment to it, it feels like. So we've really positioned ourselves as a brewery that allows us to be organic about all of it. We don't ever want to feel like we're, we're pushing ourselves on anyone. It's really about, here's our beer. Our beer will speak to what we're doing. And if the beer is good enough, which we believe it is, you know, then then more people come and we've been very blessed in that way, as opposed to, you know, continually just trying to ram your, your brand down people's throats. It just never seems to work out too well. You're both running small systems. And Chris, I I'm curious if, if you agree with what Brad is saying, and if there is something that, that, that is a little bit more, if, if some of that organic approach comes a little bit more naturally, um, just by virtue of your size. Um, I think so. I think, you know, a big factor in it is just um, for us, since it's just us two, and I'm, you know, a lot of smaller breweries like this, it's just kind of a handful of people. And I think that gives an element where, you know, our first two years, whether it was the farmer's market or the tasting room, it really was, you know, we could say basically like almost everyone that tried our beer had met us. Um, and like, so it, you really are like the face of the brewery and there's no, um, like you, um, Brad said, it's like an organic thing because we're not putting ourselves and it's not a campaign of like, this is Chris and Michelle and the brewery. It's just kind of, you know, you're who people see. Um, they know that you're making the beer you're answering the questions like you're serving the beer you're kind of always associated with it um so yeah i think the small size just by its nature kind of helps that um that people kind of get a personal connection i mean both with you and i guess the brand um because you know people have a picture in their head when they think of this brewery and it's not just a kind of like corporation or um you know, that person who might be working the tasting room, whatever day, um, it's kind of, I think the same key members are probably always somewhere in the picture, at least for a little while when you start. And 
So yeah, I think that helps build awareness about who you actually are and kind of build your brand organically. We'll get back to the conversation in a moment, but first, thanks again to this episode's sponsor. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing Equipment is the smart choice for your bottom line. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more. And check out BYO.com slash bootcamps for information on the upcoming May 7th Quality Control Program hosted by Amy Todd of Zymology Labs and the May 21st full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild. And now... Back to Chris Prost, co-owner of Polyculture Brewing in New Hampshire, and Brad Lawrence, co-owner of the Lost Art Brew House in Michigan. When it comes to, let's get to the beers now, because when it comes to the beers that you're making, um, and Brad, I'll start with you, because oftentimes one of the the, the fun things that I really like about visiting uh, nano breweries is there's usually a couple of experimental things that are uh, you know, one-offs just to see you know, how they're received or, or, you know, how they're tasting. And it, it's a fun thing to go to, you know, a super small brewery where you're getting a super small batch of something um, that may become part of a regular rotation may, may not. Um, did you have to rethink your offerings when you launched, you know, because yeah, you couldn't have wow. that personal connection? For sure. I, I mean, Cause we have, you know, when you're starting up your business, you have expectations of brands that you think are going to connect with people and some that are kind of like the side brands. And then at some point they usually end up entirely flipping, yeah. uh, flipping expectations. You know, there were brands that I thought people were going to absolutely love and just didn't, didn't work. And my partner, Mike was, you know, threw out some great ideas for stuff. And I was like, I don't want to brew that. I, I want nothing to do with a beer like that. And he convinced me to do it. And of course we release it and that ends up being our most popular brand. Um, uh, you know, it's always Which the stuff here, uh, our dune climber IPA. Okay. Uh, there's some hops in there that I don't like mixing together. And he loves that half combination. And, uh, you know, I fought him tooth and nail about brewing that beer at all because I just didn't think it would work and of course that's the one that people line up for every time we release it and uh, but to the experimental stuff we also we have a series called the lab um, and once a month I just kind of you know get get a chance to play with different things different features of beers whether it be a new hop or a craft maltster around here we have a lot of hop farms here yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in Michigan. So we get a lot of, there's actually a, a hot breeding facility not far from us. So we get really experimental random stuff. Uh, and we'll get to build that experimental series of just really crazy, crazy, you know, we'll do a double IPA of a hop that nobody has ever brewed with before. Um, or a random small batch of malt that a maltster didn't experiment with. And then I got to do an experimental beer with it. So it's really such a unique thing. And I, people really, that resonates with people too, because it's, again, it's that experience of I'm the only one getting to have this experience. So I think people get really attached to stuff like that. Chris, you spend a lot of time uh, working with local ingredients in your beer. Did, did anything change on that front uh, during the pandemic? during this first year of the pandemic? Um, I mean, we've had, I think, um, in the winter and 
so far in the spring, we've had a little bit of a chance to explore. Like we're ex we explored some new hop varieties from Massachusetts and things like that. Um, kind of while things had been a little quiet. So in terms of finding some new suppliers and new like avenues we're gonna explore that has um, changed a little bit and that's good. Like we're finding new um, ingredients to use. Um, otherwise, I'd say, no, I mean, we use, it depends on the beer and what kind of like we're going for with it. We use some portion of local, like Northeast grown um, grain malt in most of the beers. And then some we kind of lean heavily in where it's, you know, 90 or a hundred percent of like um, New England grown malt and things like that, just kind of depending on the beer. But I think overall, we kind of maintain that through um, this period. But in terms of overall with like the beers that we're actually doing and the beer recipe um, kind of selection and ideas we come up with, like we've definitely had a shift because we have, I mean, right before the pandemic, we had already kind of set our foot into a few local retail places. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very local. Right now we're in like six or seven places all within, you know, 30 some miles. Um, and that definitely got impacted because, you know, aside from the logistical portion of it, where it's not like you could come up with kind of new beers and you don't really need to worry about a label or um, things like that. You can kind of just pour it here and fill some growlers or crawlers. Um, you know, that's made that more difficult. You can't just spin off like new beers every once in a while. Um, you really have to think, is this going to be something that you're going to kind of continue doing um, logistically if it's feasible? And then also, obviously, like I said, people have some idea of who we are and the beers we do. But um, I think it's, uh, you know, a very different proposition when people walk into your tasting room or your beer garden and you can really explain and talk about the beers that you have versus kind of seeing it and what the label says is what they know about it on um in a cooler at a store so like for example i mean we play a lot play around with a lot of different yeast um so like in the past we've even done beers with like lithuanian farmhouse yeast or oh, cool. um in terms of malt we did oak smoked um a grazikia grazer type beer several years in a row and like things nice. like that are a hit at the tasting room and i feel at the tasting room <laughs> people are kind of up to try your experiments and these really interesting beers. But, you know, if someone sees Grajiskia on a, a label in a store, chances are they won't know what it is. And, you know, it's even less of a chance that that's what they're going to grab next to IPAs or something. So, you know, um, it's funny because that's probably one of my all-time favorite beer styles. And if I saw it, I'd buy your beer. <laughs> yeah, and it had dedicated fans, but for sure, um, you know, we definitely, and I think it changes how the way you think of, we have had seasonal beers that come back every year and then kind of what I would call year-round rotating, but no real quote-unquote like flagship. Like I think a lot of places don't really think of it that way anymore, but um you know, you, there's, it's kind of like a game of telephone where you're hearing from the seller or through untapped or something, what the customers are thinking about or wanting instead of kind of talking to them directly. 
So you're definitely trying to, you know, you're trying to think ahead in their head of like, what beer are they going to want in March? Um, and trying to do your best to nail it. Um, and like, yeah, that's how it goes. Sometimes you do. And sometimes it kind of is confusing for the customer, but, um, I, I hesitate to grab, uh, this live wire, uh, but you brought up untapped and <laughs> everybody's yeah. cringing. Who's listening right now. Of how's this going to go? Um, I know for, for certain breweries, it's great as a marketing tool for other breweries. It's great sort of as uh, consumer feedback. It's been my impression from previous conversations that the smaller your brewery, the more problematic untapped can be, you know, because you have a limited quantity of beer. Um, it might not be getting out to it to a huge amount of people. Um, you know, and if somebody, you know, if you make a, a, a three barrel batch and you know, somebody gives you one star because they don't like loggers, uh, even though you've made a really good logger, um, that can sort of mess up your entire skew. Um, how do you view the site for your own business? It's a jump ball for whoever wants that. <laughs> I don't even know that I want to touch that one. Uh, Fair enough. I mean, I, I, no, I'll go. I mean, it, it's such a, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we started here about the technology and the things we've been forced to learn over the last year. And yeah. Untap's been around for a little bit before that. And Ten years. beer advocate for those of us that used to do it before that and rate beer. And these things aren't necessarily new, but. Uh, you know, it in the whole scheme of beer drinking history, it is new, and it's it's another way to get people's, you know, perspective on your beer. And uh, it doesn't need to be the decision maker of oh, I got you know this beer has two two star reviews. I guess I better never make it again. Um, but if somebody you know legitimately has something that they would like to see different about that beer. Or, you know, there is something that really is resonating with people. It's, it's a great, it's a great tool, but you need to kind of know its limitations and you certainly can't base all of your business practices off of, off of the reviews you get, you know, like if we sell, you know, a three barrel batch and then we get, you know, 10 reviews on untapped, you know, that's a very small percentage of the people that drank the beer. So you don't want to necessarily base everything you do on on that but you, there is a lot to learn there yeah i'd say similar i mean like everyone i think that being small um i think something that you lose and that the people drinking the beer lose is like a lot of small places like ours or whoever you're very like you people lose the context um you know like we're in this place and we try to um showcase that and I'm sure most small places have kind of like, um, you know, they're trying to create a context around the beer. Um, and then when you see these things on untap, both like you don't know what the user's context was around your beer. Um, and then, you know, they don't really, it depends, but you can tell, you know, some people, you'll see like check-ins from somewhere across the country of like one of our beers and it's kind of mind boggling. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's like, obviously, not obviously, but I doubt the person really has the context of the beer, or what we're doing. Um, so like, I think that's kind of the, the grain of salt you take with it. 
Um, but I think during the pandemic, um, yeah, like you have to obviously understand what, that it's not a perfect tool, but it obviously is a tool to get some sort of feedback. Like it's, I think it's sad. The biggest thing I think that's sad about it is that there's no real requirement to have any substance, um, behind the rating because yeah. even if it's good or it's bad or whatever it is, if you at least knew, you know, some people put good comments and some people just leave it blank. And so, you know, without having any, <laughs> going back to the context without having any idea of why they rated it good or bad or mediocre, it really, you know, is limited usefulness, but still it's something, right. It's, it's some kind of measure of what somebody thought of what you made. So you, you both handled that very diplomatically. <laughs> uh, I, I was like really excited that like, we were going to, you know, get into a brawl or something, but uh, alas. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, I hate to be too critical of it because we are very lucky with, you know, the amount of positivity it's drawn toward our brewery. But I would say to the industry as a whole, it kind of, it steers people in a direction of brewing beers that are made to get good ratings. And that may not always be the best course of action for brewing good beer. Um, you know, I, you can put 10 different ingredients and make a quadruple IPA and you, you know that it'll probably get you good ratings, but maybe that 5% porter with no rough edges and a beautiful roast character is really what would elevate your brand more. Um, so when you're a small brewery like Chris or I, you know, you have to, you have to make that decision. Are we brewing the quadruple IPA this week? Or are we going to brew the porter? And uh, well, you can't let that kind of taint your taint your view of where you take your business. Let's change gears because the word has come up a couple of times in uh, local. And the smaller a brewery you are, uh, the more rooted in your geographical area you're likely to be. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a huge push for reminding people of the brick and mortar family owned friend owned shops that existed on our own main streets or, you know, on our back roads or, or wherever. And that, you know, the, these small companies needed our help. And I think by and large beer drinkers stood up and did as much as they could to help out their small local breweries. The, the, the further step that I, that I saw was breweries then in turn, trying to help out other businesses, um, you know, sort of facing the storm together. What did this last year teach you about community relations? And I guess, Chris, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I think for us, um, I mean, we've, I think, we had, you know, we kind of lost the opportunity to um, feature because of kind of the lack of on-site tasting room um, and the beer garden, like we had done food trucks and things like that in the past. And that kind of went out the window um, with the pandemic. So I think as a business, you know, it was hard to link up. Um, like we did do some collaborations with, um, like a coffee roaster that we know across the river in Vermont. Um, 
and definitely try to like on social media, you know, people will cross post um, different businesses and things like that. But I think paired, you know, the pandemic itself and then paired with kind of the closure of a lot of at least temporarily of on site, you know, the businesses we sold very, very limited draft, but like those have accounts basically, you know, shut down. Um, and now they're kind of more focused on like beer to go in this state, I think. Um, so I think it's been kind of more of a, um, in the other breweries, I feel like it almost has been kind of more a camaraderie type of thing and a commiseration, um, for us versus something that you could like point to on paper and say, you know, we did X, Y, or Z. Um, because yeah, for us, I think the biggest thing is with the restrictions and, you know, it was kind of, it kind of tied our hands in terms of like what we could actually do in person, um, in feature. Makes sense. Brad, what about you? Yeah, I think that's been a huge, huge challenge of the whole pandemic is, uh, just trying to create those bonds between local businesses and everybody got so wrapped up, especially in the beginning of how am I going to survive this? You know, um, I've got to worry about my business. The bank's still calling, uh, but the customers aren't allowed here anymore. Um, it, it took a while to kind of navigate through that for everybody, but definitely building relationships uh, with uh, food trucks. We started to have a lot of food trucks out here and local coffee roasters. And, you know, we would brew coffee beers and then have them here to sell coffee. And we're in talks with the market down the road. And I mentioned before our our IPA dune climber um, is, is pretty popular around the area. So when a lot of these restaurants got to open back up, we were uh, lucky enough to have some of them reach out and we were, got them some kegs to have, uh, have on tap and then, you know, do big social media posts and everything. Uh, you do really realize that we are all in this together. You know, you are not on an Island. And like I said, previously, we weren't open to know the difference beforehand. So maybe, maybe that would uh, color our view of it a little differently, but uh, it really comes down to that community aspect of it and knowing that you're not on, not on an island and that everybody doing good together is what's best for the community. As we start to wrap up here, let's take the pandemic out of this for a second. Let's take all of the, the, the what ifs, you know, uh, restrictions, crowds, outdoor drinking, indoor drinking, whatever it is. Have either of you or both of you set any sort of goals for yourself or for the business that are hopefully achievable a year from now that have nothing to do with the pandemic, regardless of what the pandemic does? I'll let either of you jump in. <laughs> it's, it's a tough question because, you know, as much as we do feel it kind of waning here, uh, it, it is, it's still every single day when we come in, we have to think about uh, what are the restrictions we're currently dealing with and what's next month going to look like. And, you know, if you're brewing, you've got to be looking three, four months in advance. Uh, so it is tough to do that, but, I would say for us, really at the end of this, and maybe when we when we talk next year at this time, 
because we opened during the pandemic and because our entire existence has been defined by it, I would like to get to a point where our business is no longer defined by this whole situation and that we are just a great brewery, not a great brewery that opened during a pandemic and had to deal with all that. I, I would like to get to a point where we can really just be past this and uh, not be defined by it. Chris, what about you? Do yeah. you have a... I mean, we've talked, I think in this um, winter kind of season, when things are a little slower here, um, I think we have talked about um, my wife and partner, Michelle and I, you know, we're really thinking kind of like the big picture and I guess, so to speak, what the next step is. We don't, and we haven't figured that out yet. Um, and obviously the pandemic uh, kind of, <laughs> kind of mixes up the message and the numbers and, you know, what you have. And like I said, no real good base to go off of, but I think for us, that's kind of what our, I mean, our goal is to kind of figure out what we want to do next. Um, mm -hmm. Like we are very small and we have different challenges than most breweries because we, you know, we've, our brewery is in a more rural area and it's currently on our own property. Um, and it's a very unique kind of spot. Um, and we, you know, use, I think the uniqueness um, is a big part of our, um, you know, it is a big part of our brewery and where we are in our place. And so that poses, you know, so many questions of like, what are options for moving forward or expanding? And like, also, what do we want to be? Um, both, you know, from for us, it's all intertwined with our family and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And then also with the community. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just there's lots of questions. We've had some time to think about different things. Um, and that's really what we're trying to figure out. But like Brad said, I think in the short, you know, it's like you have time to think about that more in depth. But now as things ramp up, it's kind of you're going to be in the day-to-day um, -day mode for a little while. Um, and, you know, I, I guess the goal is to think um, through this summer and get the indications of what, you know, what, what the indications are of where you should go next, what you might want to do and what people really um, enjoy about your brewery um, and what things could kind of be sacrificed if you had to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's our goal. Our goal is to kind of like uh, refine our goal um, going forward. And um, yeah, I mean, because I think, you know, when you first open and you're doing a business plan and all that, you know, people talk about the five year plan. And I think it's kind of, you know, no one in their five-year plan, unless um, you knew this was coming and no one did, would have had a pandemic year, year plus in there. So no, no. Um, <laughs> but I think it also is different because I think the pandemic going through it, you know, shows you something different. It's good in a way to see, you know, we've tested out different things. We've done delivery, we've done curbside, we're selling in stores. Like we've, at this point we've done in these three years, so many different kind of um, segments of selling our beer and reaching the customer that I think in the end it's provided a, like a bigger view and that makes it more difficult looking about what you're gonna do going forward in some ways. Before we go with that in mind, cause five-year plans, 
Yeah, I always like asking that question now and again of, you know, how much different is is your business now than what you anticipated it being? But um, aside from that, I'm wondering if we're going to see, um, you know, breweries open up, uh, small breweries open up in the coming months and years because of the pandemic of people who, uh, you know, are embracing their dream, following their dream, et cetera. Um, what is one quick piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's thinking about opening up a nano brewery? And Brad, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, I would go with stay positive. Everything you do, stay positive. Uh, you know, we had a million chances to be negative uh, about the way that our business opened up and the way our first year went. But because we, we took it as a learning opportunity and a challenge to solve, um, it's just been such an amazing year for us. And, and a lot of that comes from just coming into work every day and being positive. And we could have never imagined, you know, when you talk about five-year plans, we didn't even have this year being as successful in our first year as it ended up being. And, you know, we could have thrown in a towel when we found out that you know, the contractors walked off the site a month before we were supposed to open, <laughs> but, but coming at it from a direction of positivity and just knowing that that really sets the tone of your entire business. You know, I, we're in Walker, Michigan. We are right outside Grand Rapids, Beer City, USA. We're three miles from, you know, Founders and Bells is down the road. It's, it's a huge challenge to try to you know, say we're going to open a brewery right down the street from these guys. And by the way, there's a pandemic wow. uh, that's going to come in and shut things down. But if you come to work every day and you bring positivity with you, you just want to elevate your brand within that positivity. I think the, the sky's the limit for anybody that's opening up. I would absolutely say if you, if you do it and give it your all and you stay positive, uh, you can do anything. Chris, what about you? Do you have a piece of advice? Um, I guess I always thought when we were like getting ready to start up, um, you know, there's the talk about the elevator pitch and like what makes your brewery different and what, you know, why would someone, you know, sum up your business idea. And I think that's a little like stale and hard to do, but I think, you know, at this point in the game with so many breweries, I mean, we're still in a pocket up here in our part of New Hampshire. You know, there's over a hundred breweries in the state, but there's just a handful kind of in uh, our region of the state. But even so, I think like, I think more and more places that are opening, you got to think about, um, you know, what you're really going to bring to your local area. Um, I think so I've someone said this at one of the beer conferences, but you know, they said there's a lot of like cover bands out there in terms of mm -hmm. breweries. And I think that's true that, you know, we, there's a lot of, are you just, are you going to be the place that's kind of doing what this other place did, but just kind of with a different name or are you going to, um, you know, what are you going to bring to the table? Um, and then I think also, I think the pandemic will also, I would say if you're opening, um, you know, you may want to think given this experience, I think a lot of small places are going to want to start thinking about things they wouldn't have, especially in terms of packaging. 
Um, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen again anytime soon, but I think, um, I'm, I, I don't know. I personally find myself wondering about the, um, unless you really get the hype and the whatever about the kind of business model, even for nano size of just opening and expecting everyone's going to come. Um, and you're just going to sell your beer automatically in the growler or what it is in your tasting room. I think a lot, there'll be a lot of thought about that. I would think about that a lot if I was starting new, um, the way things kind of went and it was suddenly you can't sell beer in your tasting room. You can't sell beer on draft at bars. Um, like we were lucky to not, we had started packaging and we actually started can conditioning and did a lot of, um, research and trial and error before the pandemic. But, you know, I'm thinking, what if we hadn't done that and had no packaging equipment, no cans? Um, so yeah, that's what I would think. Think about your real plan and what you're going to add to your local community. And then also, you know, think about what you would do if X, Y, or Z suddenly happened um, and build that into your plan, have a little redundancy or flexibility, so to speak. Nice. Yeah, well, I think to, sorry. Yeah. To, no, go for it. The, I was just thinking. Uh-oh. You kind of touched on it a little bit, was just that the the mon old mantra of if you do it, they will come is mm -hmm. not good enough anymore. And think about your reason for being, like he said, and if you don't think you can make the best beer possible, then that's not the beer you should be making. Um, you know, it, it's not good enough to just make beer anymore. You have to, you always have to be making the best beer possible. And I'm constantly amazed when I go to newer breweries and I keep thinking, you know, we've hit this proverbial bubble or whatever. And these places aren't going to be able to hang, but there's so much passion in new breweries out there and so much amazing beer being created that it is possible to still wow people. You just have to, have to really be passionate and love what you're doing and just just making beer isn't good enough you have to make great beer a hundred percent of the time yeah i think to jump further off that if i can is that you know like you said it is i mean it's about the beer but i think in terms of what you're bringing to the table you know you also are a whole picture kind of entity um and so there may be other, obviously the beer is like number one, but there's other things like we have this kind of rural beer garden experience that, you know, you're not going to get everywhere. Um, and other places, you know, maybe their beers aren't totally bonkers and totally different, but like they have, you know, these kind of other amenities or they bring something really important to the community or they're, you know, connecting the community, so to speak. So I think like you said, beyond that, you can think about where you fit um, and don't just think about the beer and, and, and what you're pouring, although that's important, but like, how's your whole picture going to fit in um, with where you are and what people want? Well, as ever, Zoom, uh, with some of its technical glitches, uh, make me long for uh, the pandemic to end even faster so I could do this in person with you all. Um, but thanks for thanks for sharing your insights. I I, I really appreciate it, and um, I hope that we can actually have beers in person soon. Chris Post, he's the co-owner of Polyculture Brewing in New Hampshire, and Brad Lawrence is the co-owner of Lost Art Brewhouse in Michigan. My thanks to you both, um, and good luck out there. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me. Before we go, I'd like to hear from you. 
What's your post-pandemic focus? You can email us, nano at byo.com, and tell us more. And I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast and subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up on great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month, so subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. And I'm happy to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Blickman Pro Brewing. With superior engineering and unrivaled service, Blickman Pro Brewing equipment is designed from the ground up to generate a quick return on your investment by getting you up and running as efficiently as possible without sacrificing quality. Experience true turnkey systems that are versatile and flexible enough to give you room to grow and a modular design that can fit any space. Visit BlickmanPro.com to learn more about their 1 to 10 barrel brew house systems and cellaring equipment. And don't forget to sign up today for the upcoming BYO boot camps. On May 7th, 2021, join QC expert Amy Todd of Zymology Labs as she walks you through what you should be doing as a small-scale craft brewery to make sure the beer you're selling to customers reflects well on your business. You'll learn about running sensory panels, setting up a testing lab area, and running proper tests, plus more. And on May 21st, join BYO for a full-day craft brewery startup workshop led by Steve Parks of the American Brewers Guild, along with Audra Gazanis on startup financials and Matthew McLaughlin on legal tips for startups. Full details on these nano boot camps can be found at byo.com slash bootcamps. I'm John Hall. And you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast, as well as Steal This Beer. You can find those where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. I'm digging this new theme music. How about you? It was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all your brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day. <laughs>